Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan and Phil Goldfeder here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and around the world on Arut Sheva, Israel National News slash radio. And it's been a couple weeks, Phil, but fortunately nothing has happened in the world. So, you know, here we are, back from well-rested from vacation, various vacations, and we can just pick things off where they left off in this new year of 2018. Michael, the way I see it is that if you and I haven't talked about it, it hasn't actually happened. So it has been a quiet few weeks. Um, it's, you know, look, it's actually, I think we've seen a couple of weeks and, and while we haven't here, been here to talk about it, I don't think, I don't think it has been as, I don't want to say the word chaotic or, or exciting as some weeks have been. I really do think, and I know it's hard for us to say, given sort of what has taken place and what continues to take place today and yesterday and the day before, you know, you say like, oh, no big deal. But I, I think I'm kind of desensitized to it already. And I, I really mean that. And I... You know, watching the State of the Union and, and, and watching um, watching sort of reactions and, and seeing the political commentary back and forth, this is what I, you know, maybe you can help me here. It doesn't really phase me anymore. This one lied, that one lied. I'm becoming the cynic that I always, you know, complain that others become. Um, you, uh, did you start subscribing to the all politicians are liars? No, I would never, as, as I, have, I have ranted and raved that we never should do that. However... You know, I think the American people, and this is what I, I think, and, and maybe I'm starting to wrap my brain around it, right? The American people want normal. They don't want a politician. They don't want polished. They want just like, give it to me straight. Give it to me honest. Like, just tell me what to expect. Now, that is not me justifying any actions over the last year, or that is not me all of a sudden jumping on the Trump bandwagon. However, I think there is, you know, and again, and I say this because I'm starting to feel it. And so if I'm starting to feel it, I can't even imagine what the, the, the casual observer must be feeling. We're just tired of it and, and become desensitized. So think about this. And you and I say, oh, what, what's exciting about the Trump era is that more and more people are going to get involved. I'm thinking just the opposite. More and more people are going to turn it off, right? We've just reached that point. I, of, I think there. I think you're making a great point that there will, or, or it's inevitable. There's a little bit of a letdown, and a lot of new voters or, or different voters came to the polls in 2016. And the question is, will that remain in 2018 in the midterms? Uh, you know, the one thing that's interesting now, and I think that I think Democrats are misplaying this, is the. They feel, and they feel buoyed by election results that happened in 2017. They feel buoyed by anti-Trump sentiment and enthusiasm and then generic ballot. The thing is that as much as the tax reform package was, I, I don't think it was well-crafted. I don't think it was well thought of. I think it had a lot of problems. There are going to be a lot of Americans who are going to see extra money in their pockets. And when that happens, and there is, you know, repatriation, I'm not saying all those jobs that have been promised. In fact, some of the jobs that have been promised have actually um, not come to fruition. But there were, there is going to be a segment of the population that's going to do well with these tax cuts. And a lot of voters are going to say thank you to the Republicans. And, because people vote their pocketbook when it comes down to it. It's the economy stupid. It's the pocketbook stupid. And, you know... I think there's a lot of tone deafness out there amongst congressional Democrats, you know, pardon me for saying, you know, and just early in 2018, you know, we're 11 months away from an election and they're already, you know, measuring the drapes. 
because you know you have I think they asked Debbie Wasserman Schultz about the tax cuts and you know a thousand dollars. She's like, well, a thousand dollars is not that much. Well, when you're making thirty and you're making forty, you're making fifty. A thousand, even when you're making sixty, a thousand dollars. Now, Debbie Wasserman Schultz is very wealthy, so obviously, thousand dollars doesn't mean that much to her. But when you're really that tone deaf about it, it's you gotta start. I mean, and the Democrats have always been the party of the average person, so it's just it seems kind of they seem almost upset that average people out there have gotten a tax cut. Now, we're leaving New York aside and the deductions and the high states, but. Don't measure the drapes yet. You know, the Democrats need 24 seats, I think, to flip in order to take the House. Um, you know, the average of a midterm election is 30. But again, you got to win every single district. Every new district is a battle. And don't take for granted that all these districts are all of a sudden going to be swept into a wave. Don't start doing that. 2018 is a long time to go. And as you said, every day seems like an eternity in this administration i mean every day there's another i mean in the course of the like the three weeks that we are off i mean it's just incredible we vis-a-vis the russia investigation the president goes to davos there's a government shutdown i mean it's just like every single day this is a and how much craziness there's a book there's steve bannon i mean just like every I forgot day about the shutdown you I forgot? forgot about the shutdown right how this is what it's come to. I think you and I talked about this in our last show or maybe the, the show before. You know, there was talk when Representative Congressman Jerry Nadler took over the Judiciary Committee. There was already talk of wow, as the, when the Democrats... As the ranking. As the ranking member. Thank you. When the Democrats take over, are we going to bring impeachment hearings against the president? It's like... Whoa, whoa. And I give I give Congressman Nadler a But they're already talking about that. But, but there's the other members talking about that. He that's shot why it I down. He did. He was because the that's one. responsible. That's but how dare any member of Congress or any sitting elected official or any Democrat anywhere in the world dare be be celebrating victories at this point, right? Look, there's no question that we've celebrated victories in Virginia. We've had victories in um in Alabama, crazy victories in Alabama. But like Let's let's get through the next, as you said, like it's an eternity. I mean, we're there's a so big difference between statewide and congressional districts. Statewide is a totally different. I mean, look 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 at the state of play. I think it's they the Democrats need 24 seats in order to take the House. The Republicans need. I mean, so the Democrats need two seats in order to take the Senate. It's very. Of course, very doable. You could very much wake up in November of 2018 and see Democrats controlling both houses. In order to do that, a lot of work needs to be done. I think I'm so. not saying it's certain. It's a certainty by any stretch to happen because the Democrats are defending a lot more seats in the Senate than you know Republicans are. There are a lot more Democratic seats in play. That having said that, as we've identified on the show in the past, Nevada, Arizona seem both possibilities. For a uh, for a Democratic pickup, yeah, I think we both prognosticated. And I think it's the, your safe money is still on a Democratic House. Um, you're seeing you're seeing literally dozens of Republican incumbents who have been in, in office for for years who are who are on their, uh, of their own volition deciding not to run for re-election for whatever reason. Maybe the writing's on the wall. Maybe they don't just don't want to go through the aggravation. What is it going to be a very contentious uh, campaign season? But look, you know. New Jersey, um, Frailinghausen, who's been around, who's who holds a pretty powerful uh, committee. Actually, post. Actually, not not pretty powerful. I mean, the, the most the pow- most powerful the com- most powerful committee um, at, at that as the chairman. I maybe the second most powerful after ways and means, but appropriations is the guy who decides where all where the, the federal going. money goes. And so he and 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 not term limited out. And he decided 
And he hasn't done. faced a competitive election in a long time. And Just this yesterday. is a district that Trump won. That's right. That's right. And he still doesn't want to run for re-election. And so there has been, and this is going to be contrary to what I, I said earlier, there has been sort of a groundswell of people who have been at his office every single week sort of picketing and protesting and asking him to, to answer questions. But again, even it, he could still choose to ignore all that and likely win re-election. However... And the Freelinghausen name is an institution in New oh, Jersey. Oh, that's... I have learned that in my short time <laughs> I mean, in New Jersey. Freelinghausen Avenue. I mean, there's just everywhere there's Freelinghausen. Um, and so uh, I think, you know, that is sort of a bit telling about sort of where... You know, that's a safe Republican seat. I think for moderate Republicans in moderate seats... You're gonna see you're gonna see a very tricky election coming up, and and most of them who have been around for a little bit just don't want to deal with it. They just don't want to deal with it. They don't want to answer the questions about Trump. They don't want to answer the questions about healthcare. They don't want to answer the questions about tax reform. They don't want to deal with the repercussions that that this presidency has brought. And I don't mean that as a as a negative on Trump. It's just sort of the facts that he's obviously different than your typical uh, presidential president. Um, and so I think many just don't. I mean, just yesterday I think it was with Trey Gowdy also. Right, who became who became of fame from the Benghazi hearing, um, who actually was the one who's who's credited with uncovering the Hillary private private emails, private and, server, private server, and so again, you're seeing sort of kind of institutions, people who have like right. I mean, Republicans Republican will keep that recognition. Again, I don't I don't question that, but there's right. a re- you know. There is a reason why people run and why people choose not to I, run. I, his answer, by the way, I give him credit. His answer is, look, there's a, a time to know when to stay and a time to know when to leave. And now is a good time for me to leave. Look, I'm sitting, living proof of that, right? Like there's a time, <laughs> there's a time to stay and there's a time to leave. I think most Republicans, or, or many, I a lot of people most, didn't want you to leave. So let's thank you, uh, Michael. Thank you for saying. I didn't say I was one of them. I just said a lot of people. <laughs> well, we pre- I appreciate that. Um, I think the challenge is, is most just don't want to deal with the aggravation of it all. I mean, they've served, they've done, they've they've sort of they've put in a, a tremendous career of public service and they're going to move on the challenges are just harder and harder and harder it's getting more and more complicated to answer the questions and this is not i, I will say this and i have sort of post-tax reform i have been very very careful to say it's good it's bad i like it i don't like it the, tr- the president was right the president was wrong i think this is one of the perfect examples of time will tell right it doesn't we could sit and prognosticate right now but this is one of the perfect things well let's see let's see what our paychecks look like I'll give you a perfect a perfect example. Someone approached me and said, "This is fantastic." So when in New York City, fantastic. My paycheck went up three hundred dollars every every pay period. I was like, "Great, but what what's just wait ha- till you pay your income taxes?" Well, that's the problem. What happens come next April, right? Not this year because it's not a twenty eighteen problem. It's April of twenty nineteen, and all of a sudden he can't deduct his local income tax. He can't deduct his his New York tax. He can't uh, deduct his real his 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 mortgage interest. All of a sudden, all that extra money he's gonna have to pay the piper at some point. And so I, I sort of, I'm urging people to have restraint in, in, in what they're doing, but more importantly from the political side is I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm sort of letting things play at this point. And, and I'm part of me is maybe it's because of the, the year we've been doing this show and, and sort of the politics of the last year. I just, it's not worth these, these, these day in day out. It's just not worth the arguments anymore. It's tough it's to be worth. one of those middle of the road guys. I think that that's, a, that's what a guy like Rodney Friedenhausen is, is realizing. He finally ascends. He gets to the top of the tree as the appropriations chairman. It's an incredible achievement of somebody who being in Congress, you know, to be a committee chair, it's a very powerful position. And then he has a tax reform bill, which is terrible for his district, admittedly. I mean, just, I'm saying, I'm not, 
suggest I, it, I know I said beforehand that don't dismiss the thousand dollars but overall given what property taxes are in New Jersey it's terrible for his district he wanted to vote against it he was threatened I, I mean this by all accounts I don't think this is a secret story he was threatened by the leadership that he would lose his chairmanship if he go went ahead and you know if you can't exercise your own judgment as a member and I'm again I'm not is psychoanalyzing him but if you can't vote the way you want to vote sometimes you got to take hard votes but if you're going to go ahead and have to vote on something that's going to hurt your district you know why are you going to be there and and that's you know that's a quite you know question and the party i'm saying my party the republicans have become unwilling to represent areas you know suburban areas you know, they become unwilling to acknowledge suburban realities uh, and the fact that the suburbs send a ton of money to Washington. And, you know, I want to say, oh, well, why should I subsidize? Well, no, you're not subsidizing. You're actually, overall, there's a net gain of federal taxes. But I don't want to get too much in the weeds of that. But, you know, we have representatives out there who realize that. Pete King, Lee Zeldin, you know, these guys voted against it. Uh, Dan Donovan, you know, uh, but, you know, when you're a chairman, you don't really have that luxury from the leadership and, you know, the leadership being what it was, you know. And the other thing, I think I, I agree with you, as far as the president being unwilling to exercise oversight, this whole thing with the FBI memo, I mean, it's just it's just bizarre that you have the, the, these relentless attacks on the FBI, these relentless attacks by Congress, by congressional Republicans. By the way, the we're, we're attacking law enforcement. That's and who wants that's it. And who wants to be part of this? I think, Mike, I think you just hit it on the head. Republicans are attacking law enforcement. I mean, it is historically a secret society. I mean, it just – I mean, a member of Congress, a Republican member of Congress goes on television, talks about a secret society between – doesn't realize that something in a text is a joke. Everybody else in the world does. I, you know, it, it's just, it's become, it's, look, it's just become and not, this is, I want to be very clear because I know that you and I get feedback on the show. This is not in any way, shape or form sort of commentary on President Trump. It really isn't. I think this is commentary and for me, and you'll excuse me and feel free to, to respond. For me, this is commentary on the Republican Party and sort of the lack of direction, the lack of leadership. Well, I think I'm it's not the country saying, in general, truthfully, not just, I mean, no, just no, no, the, but, I Go ahead. Look, and I was about to say, like, the Democrats aren't doing that much better. I mean, I think the Democrats have challenges all of their own. I think the message is all, you know, well, the message or lack thereof. I mean, you have sort of ideologues like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders who are still seem to be running the show and directing the message. However, I think it's it's important to realize that, you know, sort of people who have been serving, who have been representatives who have historically haven't gotten races, not because there are no races, but because they've they've historically done a really good job of representing their communities, just no longer want to be the standard bearer for the party that is, you know, either just sitting on their hands and we want to do nothing, or the party that is going after the FBI and, and creating and creating chaos. I mean, it, it's just you have responsible quality elected officials who are choosing just not to want to deal with it anymore. Um, and not to want to sort of be a part of the circus that the federal government has become. Yeah, it's it's very troubling when you have members of Congress who are and, and look, I I understand the partisan. Sometimes you have to stick together to defend people of your own party. Happens all the time. Happens on both sides of the aisle. And I think overall, um, you know, general generally when these things happen, they are detrimental to all to everybody. But be that as it may, I don't want to judge people, but when you have these insinuations of the deep state or you have these insinuations that the institutions of, 
I don't know how one credibly makes a case. Let's just leave all that, all the, the FBI memo, Devin Nunez aside. I don't know how one makes the case of two things. Number one, it certainly seems from my point of view, rightly or wrongly, that the FBI, to the extent that Jim Comey should never have said anything about or whatever about the investigation, that's a judgment call. He did. It is what it is. Hillary Clinton should never have used the private server. It was a stupid move, etc. That's probably not why she lost anyway. But the FBI did, definitely didn't seem to swing the election for Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton. Correct. Okay, that's as Number two is the Republicans control the White House. The Republicans control the Senate. Republicans control the House. All these people we're talking about are presidential appointees of this president, Rod Rosenstein. I mean, these guys are, are all appointed. He, he, they are Republicans, most of them, okay? Yet FBI somehow, director. somehow there is this idea that there's this conspiracy going on at the highest levels of the art. Christopher Wray is a Republican. He worked for Chris Christie. I mean, he's, and yet they're trying to take down the, so the, the institutions of the the pre- of of government are trying to take down the president, and there's this kind of conspiracy out there that that's the case. Maybe, maybe, and we'll get back. And we've gone back this so many times. Maybe, maybe, just tell the truth the first time with regard to Russia, and nothing. We wouldn't be sitting here a year later trying to uncover and un- unravel this whole situation. You know, and, and and just it's mind-boggling for me that this idea that there's this vast conspiracy going on. Robert Mueller, when he was appointed special counsel by. By the attorney general that was appointed by the president. Deputy attorney general, actually, because the attorney oh, general had to right. recuse himself. That's right. He recused and, himself as Rod Rosenstein. And amazingly so is Jeff Sessions probably didn't have to recuse himself, except he did, for some uh, reason, forgot. I don't want to get in, I, you know, without getting into it, I would say he, there was Democrats and Republicans, I mean, they were coming out of the woodworks to praise his integrity, his ethical standards, his moral values. He, he sure. literally, he was- Bob un- Mueller was the best choice. Bob unimpeachable Mueller was choice. unimpeachable, like unequivocally the best choice to, to get it right. Only now, what over a little over a year later, everybody is sort of trying. I mean, and, and you're seeing it more from the Republican Party, you know, trying to sort of to, to drive a wedge between, you know, sort of a, a an investigation that is uh, an unimpeachable investigation and sort of Robert Mueller, who is clearly, you know, from from one point of view, is taking this down, a, is, is sort of being guided by the liberal left and, and digging into these conspiracy figure figure um, conspiracy theories that just don't exist. Where what what's happening? What is happening? Right, it's I, I and this is why and and I think some of our some of our listeners will be ha- listeners will be happy to know I I, I don't think it, it, it's worth it for us to do the tit for tat anymore. I just like you know the day in and day out and looking at the tweets and trying to understand. I mean, I just I don't want to I don't want to get into it anymore. I think there is a there's a problem in our government, right? In our federal government, we're going to talk about New York in just a couple of minutes, right? There's a problem that there is number one. A lack of a pragmatic approach, right? How do we actually get something done? I am going to, and, and whether you agree with this or not, and whether you know we we dig into the entire State of the Union or not, what I would say to you is, is that what the president did on immigration reform. Now, I'm not endorsing or condoning any one facet of the plan. However, the idea that like we're going to give you something and we're going to get something, right? We're going to give you something and you're going to get something, right? This idea that we find sort of points on both sides and are able to sort of piece together a deal that kind of works. Again, this is without me, this is no commentary on, you know, sort of the individual points and family unit reunification or, or, or the visa lottery or any one of the, or DACA. This is not my commentary on any of those things. However, I do like the idea 
of finding a way to sit down in a room. And this is what, you know, historically John McCain and Chuck Schumer did, you know, seven years ago, right? Sit down in a room, figure out how the best way to handle immigration reform moving forward. The idea of just shutting down the government for the sake of doing it because we can't get along is just, and I'm not giving anybody blame. This again, I'm not giving well, political commentary. I like the idea of pragmatic compromise, getting something done. The The challenge I have and the challenge I pose to whether it's the president or to Congress is actions speak louder than words. The problem is, is two things. And, and this is why Republicans messaged the shutdown so much better than the Democrats did. And they, I think, came out looking pretty good. Is that... But when you have, when it's all about buzzwords, when it's about amnesty, when it's about illegals, you know, you can't make the argument, and for, you know, the Democrats did it weekly, of, well, we're shutting down on principle because, you know, we care about these people. But the bottom line is they're not U.S. citizens, and you can't do it as, it's, it's a, when you, and people on the right, they don't want amnesty, and it's, it's a very loaded word in order to do that. Bottom line is, we need immigration as an economy. You want to be have a 6% growth economy, we need immigration. But it's, I agree with you. I mean, this is, you know, we, we, we probably should do, you know, a more deep dive into some of these issues as, we, you know, in the next couple of weeks, because they're important, and there's important to talk about from both sides. And, you know, I, I'm, I agree with you. We need a solution. Kicking the can down the road over and over and over. And, you know, next week we're headed for another shutdown unless something happens. So, uh, which would be quite amazing. But we got we to gotta move on. A couple more things to discuss. Number one is Mike Pence goes to Israel. Great gives a, a great trip. I, I mean, incredibly so. And you see the, the shift, the incredible shift here. First of all, I have to say, just thematically, and, you know, I we don't, I I feel I don't give this administration enough credit about the, the the these these issues. But Mike Pence, what did he do from my point of view that was so important is the recognition of the inherent Jewish right to the land of Israel. Now you want to negotiate afterward about what the Fond Boys was up, but the Jews have a right to be here and and that's and I'm acknowledging that and I think that's incredible because Obama didn't do that. You know, when he went to Cairo, he talks about the Holocaust, and then, therefore, it's kind of like, we're repaying a debt to the Jewish people by creating a Jewish state. I know that that's, you know, interpretation. It's not exactly what he said. But, you know, I mean, Obama had this, well, I'm the first Jewish president, and but he had this, I, look, don't like, the, don't like the guy, never did, thought his Israel policies were terrible, didn't understand the Middle East. There is this understanding, is that, and then the administration is saying, well, if the Palestinians don't want to talk to us, then they don't need our money either, which is, of course, pretty common sense. And the whole world is like, well, we can't. Well, I, I it's so let me let me. There's just, just so many things that I find to be so refreshing and gratifying about this and that the mission and that the administration deserves credit for just the sea change in the approach to to the guy. Because, look, I got to be honest, the peace process industry or the peace process business for the last 20 years wasn't working anyway. So I absolutely agree with you. Almost everything you just said, I, I give the, the vice president, the president, a tremendous amount of credit. I think the, this administration, I give them a tremendous amount of credit. Um, and what I think, and I think what we both agree is doing the right thing. Finally, it's kind of a breath of fresh air on this specific topic. What I would say to you is, is that like, I think my sort of my heart, my mind say, you know, that that makes perfect sense, right? You know, they're not cooperating. They don't want to come to the table. Then why are we giving them money, right? The problem is, is what we see in in countries like Iran, right, 
the people who are trying to rise up, right? You have people who are protesting, hundreds of thousands of people who are protesting in the street. And so there's a question of, do we spite their leadership, which is broken and needs change by, by cutting off the money? Or do we continue to do it and find ways to sort of help you know those those people get their voices heard and so this idea this blanket statement that we're going to stop funding sort of you know the Palestinian leadership or the or the Palestinian people because they don't want to come to the table on on the Israel peace deal or on the Israel peace process i think you're you're sort of you're not understanding or appreciating sort of the toil of the average person that doesn't believe in what his leadership believes i mean there was a time where when when the us started their sanctions on iran right why was it actually working? I want to I want to just dig into this because I think it's really important as it relates to this. Why were were sanctions from America and Iran working? Not because we were significantly hurting the wealth of the government and the wealth of of the elite. Just the opposite. What was happening with the sanctions is that we were impacting the average person in the street, and their quality of life was diminishing, and their quality of life was getting worse. And so, what happened? The people in the streets started to rise up and they started to rebel and they started to sort of from within started to sort of go after their leadership. And so all of a sudden the Iranian leadership says, whoa, we don't want to have to deal with the uprising from the people. We better find a way to get back to the table and make this right. And so that is, you know, to say that I'm not there. There, there may be a right way to do this and a wrong way to do this. However, this idea that like, oh, they're not coming to the table, cut them off. You're forgetting the, the millions of people who probably want peace. Right, the average Palestinian in the street likely wants peace. Go back to that whole SodaStream fiasco. Right, I was in SodaStream in the factory before they were forced to move. There were Palestinian workers who were making more money in a week than all his friends made in months, and yet BDS and so many other, so many other groups sort of urged the shutdown and cost hundreds and hundreds of Palestinians Our jobs. Sure, cost them their jobs, and so. What are we actually helping here? And so this again, there's there's got to be more than just a yeah, cut them off. This is the great. Let's well, just the cut BDS them off. movement in general is just a is is it just shows the inherent why it's just basically anti-Semitic. There's no real, uh, uh, you know, the whole thing of not actually accomplishing what you want to accomplish. Hey, well, we, you know, it's a different discussion. But I I agree with you. I mean, look, it, it, the bottom line is because. The Palestinians have been treated so unfairly by, truthfully, the, the, the whole world. I don't want to say it's not, you know, that's this is where we find ourselves. But that doesn't mean, you know, you know Trump's approach and the president's approach is, well, you're with us. And, you know, that's if you don't want to be with us, fine. Don't take our money. I don't want to give you money to begin with. Let's put it that way. I, you know, I don't want to give you anything to begin with. So therefore, you know, take it. What's it called? Yeah. I mean, I this does. I think some of this attitude here, with regard to the reaction to Pence, etc., plays in. And I hope to do this actually in a coming show. The the Pew study with regard to the divide between Republicans and Democrats. It's worth a deep dive on, on our part. A couple of things we have to do. I know we're recapping a couple of weeks here in you know in this half hour, but. The, the divide amongst, I mean, now the Republican support being so high, the Democratic support, and truthfully, I'm a, it's unfortunate. You know, I get an email from the RJC talking about how it's great the Republicans are, you know, and I'm thinking, that is great. I happen to be a Republican. I think it's great the Republicans are so supportive of Israel, but 
I'd also like Democrats to be supportive of Israel. I don't want to. It, it's to one me, of those issues. It's, that it's, it's like you don't want your right. It's it's like, like why? Like why is it? And you know there is a big divide. And you know hopefully you can explain to us as a Democrat, you know where that wing of the party is going because you know we see we talked about Kristen Gillibrand and how she's moved far left even on Israel said things that we talked about. You know she runs for re-election, but um, you know we only have two minutes left, Phil. And I, I just set the table for 2018 because here in New York it's a big year. With regards, you know, we talked about a little bit about congressional seats. We'll get into that a little bit more. But the the governor's race uh, potentially shaping up. We don't know. I mean, there are now lack thereof. Okay, right? there are now three Republican candidates. None of them. I mean, you know, I know Senator DeFrancisco from from Syracuse. He's a he's a well known upstate person, but a I certainly not a household name here on Long Island or in in New York City where a uh, you know, Republicans still needs to do well, and Governor Cuomo sitting on thirty-one million dollars. So that's a lot of coin, as they say. And so I, you know, I don't want to comment. You know, it's funny. You're the perfect person to comment on this, right? Because I don't want to talk about DeFrancisco because you can't really talk about well, Brian sort of, Cole, Joel Giambra. Yeah, put yeah, it yeah that way, you can't yeah, talk sorry. about a, a, an unknown Republican from upstate unless you talk about George Pataki, right? Like, you know, you, there is history here to sort of give credibility to these upstate sort of low name recognition candidates, and so. You know, look, I, I think... Take it seriously. Look, I think this governor is not taking anything for granted. I mean, he's got over $30 million in the bank. Everybody else is starting from zero. I don't care who they... It's in Francisco or Kolb. They're all starting from zero or very, very small numbers. And so I think anybody who runs is going to have a challenge. There was a draft, Stephanie Miner, who was an upstate of Syracuse mayor. Well, that's as a Democrat. Who was, as a Democrat. That's still going on. Primary against, uh, against Andrew Cuomo. But I think, look, I think Andrew Cuomo is going to ultimately have an easier primary and general election than he had last time around. I, I truly believe that to be the case. I think, you know, generally his approval ratings are still high. And so there are some questionable things, whether it's upstate development projects, whether it's, look, his... his Joe his, Prococo his, his, on his, trial his left, for corruption right now. His right arm is literally on trial for... for, for um, for multiple for multiple things and, and the, the trial and the process is going on right now and so I think he has some challenges ahead of him but I still think he's going to walk this uh, he's going to walk away with this thing I don't think you're going to have any real serious challenges uh, third terms are tough let's third terms are tough uh, he's gonna have to, and there are going to be some difficult questions he has to answer yeah well we'll see in the coming weeks obviously it's a good recap of the last month uh, Phil thanks for joining us and I got to give out our I, I'm going to give the, the kind of the dope of the week here I know it's a spin of the week but Representative Matt Getz of Florida apparently invited a as his guest every congressional member gets one ticket to the state of the union he married he invited a guy named chuck johnson without vetting him the guy walked into his office and invited him this guy apparently is a holocaust denying white nationalist his staff went on went on the internet just simple search it's like you can't invite this guy and gets his response when asked by the press is i had no idea who he was We'll leave it at that. That's it here on Spin Class here on the Nachum Single Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs.